the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler here on News Talk 710-KNUS. Great to be with you today. Of course, I host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning from 6 until 9 right here on News Talk 710-KNUS, Denver's local talk leader. You want to join into the conversation? 303-696-1971 is our telephone number if you'd like to join in to those festivities. You can also text into the show on the 710-KNUS app on your smartphone. Tweet at me. 247365. My Twitter is at Sang Center. That's saying with an E, not an A, Center on Twitter. In just a little bit, we will be joined by Matt Crane, Executive Director of the Colorado County Clerks Association, about a story as reported in The Federalist over the weekend. Colorado officials in the Secretary of State's office are still refusing to cooperate with local counties after the Secretary of State's office sent more than 31,000 foreign nationals postcards on how to register to vote in time for the 2022 midterms. As the Federalist reports, according to a newly released report by the Public Interest Legal Foundation, the Colorado Secretary of State's office has refused to give county election officials the names of foreign nationals who received voter registration instructions in their counties back in October. Of course, these people would be ineligible, are ineligible to vote. Now, this seems like a common sense housekeeping approach. We'll get some insights and perspective from the County Clerks Association Executive Director Matt Crane in just a little bit here on the program. 303-696-1971. In a moment, I want to raise a question for you. In the wake of last week, has President, former President Donald Trump's influence on the Republican Party waned? Is last week an example of waning influence of Donald Trump? Or is it an example of strong influence of Donald Trump? Because he did get thanks from Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy for his role in helping to secure the speakership. But was that among a very narrow band of Republicans? That Trump is responsible for helping to corral where it shows maybe a little bit less of an influence? What do you think about the fact that he was sort of rebuffed, sort of rebuffed, he was directly rebuffed earlier in the week by Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives? 
I guess we can jump to that. We were good. we had a listener look like wanted to call in on the illegal immigration topic that we spent in the last hour. Feel free to call back 303-696-1971. But here's something. Former Florida Representative Carlos Corbello, along with Simone Sanders, I think this was on NBC's Meet the Press, talking about Trump's influence. I thought we saw a lot of weakness. I mean, right at the end, I guess he helped move two or three members, which, given the margins, was significant. But the first time Trump spoke out and kind of pushed these members, people ignored him. And some of them vocally said, well, you know, we don't really care. Even Lauren Boebert said it was nice to get a call, but it doesn't matter to me. Trump is no longer in control. I mean, when I was in the House, those first two years of the Trump presidency, all of these members say, wait, wait, hold on. Let's see what the president's going to do. Let's see what the president's going to say. I think that's over. Kevin McCarthy couldn't even stand up for himself at the end. He gave all the credit to Donald Trump. And there's a reason for that. Okay, I'm just like... Trump, yeah, I was told that they know (laughs) Trump couldn't help them, but they know Trump could pull the rug out from under. Right, absolutely. And that's why he was thanking him. Thanks for not walking away is what continuing to bend the knee and what Hmm. has it gotten. So what is it? Obviously, that was from one particular angle. But when Lauren Boebert went out there on the floor of the House of Representatives and talked about how Trump had called them and said, you need to knock this off. But really, she said, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but McCarthy doesn't have the votes. So we really think he should call McCarthy and tell him to get out. So what does that actually tell you about the influence of President Trump at this point? Feel free to call or text in 303-696-1971. That is our telephone number. One listener texting in on this subject. I am an unaffiliated registered Republican because I can't stand the Republican shenanigans. Trump needs to ride off into the sunset. I am so sick of him dividing everyone. That's certainly one perspective. Let's go to Gary in Denver. Good morning, Gary. You're on with Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. Oh, good morning, Jimmy. Um, I wanted to tell say uh, not this is a different kind of opinion, but I do not see a problem with the uh, the fact that people are immigrating illegally, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, you know, immigration is not a significant issue when it comes to election. It's all about the economy. It's the economy, stupid. It's not, you know, it's, it's nothing about illegal immigration. The Republicans like to bash the Democrats about illegal immigration, but I believe the majority of voters, when they're pulling the ballot, uh, it, it's it's irrelevant or it's not very important. And the other thing, the reason why it's not important to me is for a couple of reasons. We need immigrants to do the jobs that Americans won't do. You know, there, there's a lot of jobs that are going unfulfilled. Also, uh, you know, they like to talk about, oh, it's Fentanyl. Fentanyl is coming across, but I have yet to see it data that indicates that people who are walking or swimming across a river to immigrate have loads of fentanyl on their backs. It seems to me fentanyl must be coming in through airports and trains and other means of transportation. Let's be clear. Fentanyl is coming. 
dramatically over the southern border. Does that mean that even a majority of illegal immigrants are bringing it in? No, it does not. But it absolutely is coming in illegally through the southern border. Here's an issue that ties in with immigration. Two issues, actually, that tie in with illegal immigration that I think do matter to most Americans, Gary, at least on some level. One, crime. This does tie in with fentanyl and the dramatic increase in drug overdoses and so forth that we are seeing. But it also deals with violent crime and other things. And when you have uh, hundreds of thousands to millions of people in this country who you don't know who they are, what they're doing, where they're coming from, so on and so forth, it does at least exacerbate that sort of perception, which I think is accurate, of a crime surge that is going on and could bring out more concerns in that regard, especially because of the flow of drugs coming from the southern border. But the other aspect is the homelessness crisis. I mean, now here in Denver, we have hundreds of illegal immigrants from Venezuela, predominantly in other countries that are having to be housed by the city of Denver, by the state of Colorado, taking resources that need to go elsewhere, including to our own homeless crisis that we are already enduring. And then when they do stay in our communities, then you have more people who then rely on the educational resources because they can't be turned away from going to school. So I do think that there are a variety of issues, Gary, that people are concerned about. One more thought from you. Uh, I would say those are uh, everything's a priority. Those are lower priorities in my mind. And can you is there data that shows that the illegal individuals that are coming across the border are carrying tons of fentanyl on their backs? Or, or ha- what are the means by which it's coming across the border? Or isn't it coming through trucks and, and, and you know, and not people walking across both, the border? Both. There are a variety of different ways that the drugs get smuggled in, and they end up, the cartels will use, including children, as couriers to get these drugs across the border and abuse them. But that's why the cartels are so interested, not just because the money they can get paid to traffic people, but also because of those drugs that go on through. Thank you, Gary, for the call. But when we look at this crisis at the southern border, make no mistake, it is coming first from China and then going through the southern border. And it is going from people. It is going through trucks. It is going through a variety of avenues. But... It is coming through the southern border, and yes, through individuals. And the other thing, too, if you care about how safe people are, how the well-being of children, you should be very concerned with what's happening at the southern border because this humanitarian crisis is real. If you have a porous border, it is open for business, so to speak, in terms of people just crawling on, coming on in then that encourages a greater flow of people who take a very risky, dangerous journey. It is not in the best interests of the illegal immigrants who are coming from Honduras or Venezuela or wherever to make this dangerous trek, especially children. It is very deadly. And the Biden policies have been encouraging this, which exacerbates the humanitarian crisis component to this. Listener text. Sorry, I can't ask the question, but Jimmy asked Gary how many illegals he's supporting. That's Steve in Littleton. Yeah, it is one thing to say, oh, it's okay for the the number of people to come in, but what are you doing about it yourself in that regard? 
Uh, James texting in, wow, just turned on and hearing another liberal that does not take the reality in this country and what is a problem. That's why uh, many, not all liberals vote the way they do. I wish they would be welcoming to all news and not one-sided. <laughs> um, nope, not going to read that one. But, and my New Year's resolution, oh, <laughs> there you go. A little bit of uh, criticism in terms of talking about Trump. Turn off talk shows and TV that talk about Trump. Look, done. He's a presidential candidate. He's running for president. He's the former president of the United States. It's a legit question to ask, what is the influence of Donald Trump on the Republican Party now? Because it is an important one. I do think that it is waning and that there is a lane for, say, Ron DeSantis to challenge Donald Trump. Ron versus Don. And that is one of the... A real questions here when it comes to last week and the results of last week is the influence of President Trump right now. And what does that mean for 2024? I think it's a much more wide open presidential race than you might otherwise think. And that last week gave a bit of an indication of this where you had Trump not able to corral Republicans like Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates sooner in the week. And even getting a little bit of a slight on the House floor by Boebert. Now, it doesn't mean that there is less support per se in the idea that you support Donald Trump, but to what extent is Trump influential, liking him, Having some elements of support is one thing, but the influence actually means that if it's waning, Ron DeSantis could have greater potential here, right? I certainly think so. The lane is wider open than you might have expected in the beginning for who could be the Republican nominee for president. I thought there was a a pretty good little exchange on Fox News Sunday yesterday with Jason Chaffetz blasting the Democrats over their fecklessness on the southern border. I'm glad the president is going down there. First time in his 50 years since he's been in government to actually get down there. But I, I got to tell you, uh, I'm very frustrated by this because, you know, Democrats have the House and Senate and the presidency, and it is malpractice, the idea that they never even had a hearing on this issue. They need to enforce the current law. It's get rid of the rewards and incentives. They got to lock that border down. They're not doing any of that right now. Don't tell me you need comprehensive immigration reform. Enforce the current law that's currently on the books. If you want to apply for asylum, go to a port of entry. If you don't, then guess what? You're supposed to be detained, fined, incarcerated, and deported. That's the current law, and the president is not doing that. Great point. Great points, plural, from Jason Chaffetz. And this is something I should have... uh included in my back and forth with syndicated columnist Ruben Navarrete. If you do want to apply for asylum in the United States, you can't just do so with Border Patrol when you're picked up. You have to do it at a port of entry. If not, you got to go. Plain and simple. 303-696-1971. Let's take one more call before we have to run to our break. Let's go to Jay in Littleton. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, Jamie. Thank you for taking my call. What's up? Um, 
You got some interesting topics going on. I'd like to talk about immigration first, if I could, and then maybe touch on Trump. I'll be quick. Go for it. Uh, immigration is the people who claim that there's no problem, they're just doing jobs that Americans won't do. It's utter BS, complete and total BS. Let me. And if they say immigration isn't as important as the economy, guess what impacts the economy massively, you morons, all right? When you have a, a 5 million illegals coming across the border, there's several things that are happening. A, they have to live somewhere. B, when they're living somewhere, they're almost always living multifamily per unit. Always. Those multifamily per units are only taxed at a certain rate because they're assuming only a family lives in there. Those people are then sending their multiple children to the school without paying taxes for that because they're only paying for 1.5 kids when they're sending four kids or five kids there. Guess what the schools have to do? Get, they have to start charging more. They have to start charging your taxes more in order to pay for the amount of increased kids they have in these schools. They have to then build schools. You have to pay for that. They use the uh, um, the uh, <clears throat> uh, emergency care system, right? When we when we we uh, when we go to the hospital, right? We have a doctor, we have insurance, we have doctors, we have seeing all that. They don't have any of that. They go straight to the emergency room. The emergency room gets what? Gets sure. who pays for that? Sure. Well, uh, it's pure insanity. J- the people think it doesn't cost anything. Jay, so if, uh, a couple of things. One on the education piece, I think you're overstating, at least in. With the exception of maybe Denver and a few school districts, the number I mean, are there a lot of illegal immigrants, um, uh, students who are quote unquote undocumented who are in public schools? Absolutely, Jimmy, without Jimmy, question. Yes, but correct. but but the, a lot of the people who have been coming in are not families. They are often individuals, men oh, who oh, are then working, correct. who then send money back and correct. and so forth. Sorry, well, I want to be very very clear there. And then okay, in terms you, of the you, health, you can, you can and then there's that. more nuance in, in terms of the healthcare system. But I but I do think your point is well taken that there are certainly economic impacts i have to run to a break so i want to get your trump thought in real quick jay before i gotta go trump thought is this he may have lost a little luster i suppose i think a lot of people have figured out that uh when he first was brought into office he was surrounded by absolute backstabbing scumbags who had no intention of actually being conservative or carrying any conservative water whatsoever they were strictly there by the deep state's bidding because the people that were there he was relying on referred these people to him the, the, i think he'll get a when he gets a second chance which he will uh to to cho- choose a better staff and a better cabinet i think that's going to be fantastic if he does that if he doesn't we're, we're republicans we're going to vote for whoever the nominee is so if it's trump it's going to be trump if it's going to be uh, Governor DeSantis, it's going to be DeSantis. If it's going to be somebody else, it's going to be somebody else. We'll vote for whoever the nominee is. That's the way it will go. That I do know. Jay, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. 303-696-1971. We have to go to a break so that I could spend ample time with Matt Crane, Executive Director of the Colorado County Clerks Association, about the inability of county clerks to find out who postcards went to among the 31,000 foreign nationals who received postcards with information on how to register to vote. These are people who should not have gotten such correspondence. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockle. We've got that and much more coming up. News Talk 710 KNUS.
Good morning, Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. High of 48 degrees today. It's 28 minutes after 8 o'clock. Good to be with you as always. So you may recall the news reports from around, oh, wasn't it just before the election time when voter registration postcards went out to 31,000 foreign nationals from the Colorado Secretary of State's office. Now, county clerks who have requested names of those individuals who got postcards are finding their requests denied. There's a report from The Federalist saying that Colorado officials at the Secretary of State's office are still refusing to cooperate with local counties after they said sent these postcards to vote for the tw- vote in in time to vote for the 2022 midterms. Now, of course, they're not eligible to vote if they are not citizens. So it would seem sensible for county clerks who want such information to get it. But as the Federalist reports, according to a newly released report by the Public Interest Legal Foundation, the Secretary of State's office has refused to give county election officials the names of foreign nationals who received voter registration instructions in their counties back in October. According to documents obtained by PILF, Deputy Secretary of State Christopher Beal refused to give the names of 54 foreign nationals who were mailed the voter registration postcards in Moffitt County. But is this broader than that? And what is going on here, including with how these postcards would have gone to people who should not have gotten them? Let's break this down with Matt Crane. He is the executive director of the Colorado County Clerks Association and a very good friend, not only to George's show, but to my show and me. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Hey, Jimmy. Good morning, sir. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. So before we get into the question about the the names and the requests of lists and so forth, let's just get down to what exactly happened here and to what extent it may or may not involve this interstate compact system called ERIC or the Electronic Registration Information Center. Sure. So as, as as you said, Colorado is a state that is a member of ERIC, which is the Electronic Registration Information Center. ERIC is a great tool for us to be able to look at, uh, compare our voter registration database with other states that are participating states. I think as of now, there are 30 or 31 states uh, plus the District of Columbia that participate in ERIC. So we share our voter registration look uh, list and look for matches so that we can say, okay, we see that Jimmy Segenberger has moved to Texas, let's say, so that we can start the process here in Colorado um, to to cancel your voter registration here. Part of the conditions for being a member of ERIC, part of the the contract you sign, is that you will periodically send out these um, eligible but unregistered EBU mailings. Um, And so what they do is, they go through the driver's license information, um, and then they compare it to the voter registration list. And then they say, okay, here is a list of people who may, and I want to stress may, um, be eligible to vote in Colorado, but they aren't registered yet. So these are the people that should get uh, the list or the foundation for the list that goes out for this EBU mailing. It's then up to the state of Colorado, to the Secretary of State's office, to take that data, compare it um, to the driver's li- or the driver's license list that they have here to make sure they filter out people who are deceased, people who are here 
uh, illegally, non-citizens. Make sure that they get all of those ineligible people out of the list before they send that mailing. And that's where the mistake happened here. It wasn't in the data that came from Eric. The Secretary of State's office unfortunately made a mistake in the way that they uh, processed that data to filter out um, these illegal, illegal immigrants. So, and non-citizens, exactly. So when we talk yes. about uh, electronic, the, the ERIC system, just for one moment, how valuable is that? I remember last year I had you as well as Hans von Spakovsky of the Heritage Foundation on together, and it came up that there are a lot of criticisms of Eric, and Hans and you both agreed. In fact, Hans laughed about it, that um, uh, that there was there were those who thought that Colorado and other states shouldn't be part of Eric. Well, there has there has certainly been a lot of lies and disinformation said about Eric, unfortunately, um, over the last couple of years. But as I said, it, and as Hans said that day, Eric is a fantastic tool for states to be able to clean their their voter registration list. But again, I want to stress this issue wasn't a result. Um, it wasn't made by Eric. It was unfortunately a data error made in the Secretary of State's office. Um, so, you know, that's it. This, is, sure. this isn't an Eric issue. So. Then you get to this point where that staffing error is made and you have county clerks such as the clerk in Moffitt County who are saying, we want to know the names of uh, the individuals who received these postcards who were ineligible because they were non-citizens, maybe they were illegal immigrants, who knows? We don't know who they are, what their background was, etc., which is something that I think is legitimate for county clerks to be concerned about. Uh, what can you tell us about that and your overarching take from the county clerks association perspective and has the clerks association put in requests like some county officials have done sure um and i, I do want to stress and i think you bring up an important point of context of this too it wasn't just people here who are here illegally there there are illegal non-citizens uh that received this mailer as well um, so we did we did ask the secretary of state's office um for a list of names by county so that the counties could also work to verify that these people were not getting access to the voter registration list. Um, and we were told by uh, much like that article said by the Secretary of State's office, they were very open with us to the extent they could be. There's either a state rule or an executive order, Jimmy, that prohibits the state from sharing the personal information, so name, address, date of birth um, of uh, potential non-citizens with other um, jurisdictions entities. So they were not able to share with the names, but we do have the totals by county, um, how many of these postcards went out to each county. So we do have that information. We've also spent a lot of time with the Secretary of State's office talking about what they're doing to mitigate what happened to make sure that any non-citizen does not get on the voter registration, certainly that they don't vote. And the Secretary of State's office is, um, was doing checks um, every minute, every couple of minutes, to be able against the database to see if anybody, any name on that list tried to register to vote. So, you know, while we would have liked the name so that we could independently verify out of the state to be able to say, okay, these folks did not get on the voter registration list. I think the state was doing everything they could to mitigate the mistake that happened. Yeah, I, I just, Matt Crane, I just don't understand, though, why the duly elected, independently elected uh, county clerks couldn't get that kind of information. I mean, this isn't talking about the same kind of thing as some of the, um, you know, voting equipment and what have you issues of concern last year. We're talking about the voter rolls, which every county clerk, to me, has some sort of obligation to uh, to help participate in ensuring that only uh, legal 
um, legally uh, citizens. Only citizens are eligible to vote and are voting in in their jurisdictions. I I completely agree. We you know that's why we did uh, we did push the secretary's office to provide us that list both at an asso- association level and I know many counties like the Moffitt example you mentioned earlier many counties reached out and asked for that information as well um, and we were we were disappointed um, when we weren't able to, to access that information. Well, I would certainly if there is some sort of a rule as you're saying or executive order whatever it is I would think that that should be uh, changed. I do want to ask a very important question though. When you have a situation like this where voters who are not eligible to or I mean individuals who are not eligible to vote, uh, non-citizens get a postcard with instructions on how to register, what processes and procedures are in place to make sure that people who aren't eligible to vote in Colorado are not signing up to vote and are not getting approval to do so and then getting a ballot? Right. So it's important to note that these postcards do not equal a registration. So I did see a lot when this first hit, I did see a lot of things going around online that, you know, the Colorado Secretary of State registers 31,000 non-citizens or whatever that number was. Um, and that was that was just uh, the postcards do not equal registrations. So let's let's take it to your question, Jimmy. Um, if somebody tried to return one of those postcards, a non-citizen received it, they tried to return it back. Um, if they used, let's say that they have a non-citizen driver's license here in Colorado, if they tried to use that to register to vote, that would be checked against um, that would be that would be flagged and they would not be able to register if they have a non-citizen social security number um then they would that would be flagged because we do real-time data checks against uh with the social security administration uh to make sure that we're not registering anybody um uh, who's ineligible to register to vote at that point so there are multiple checks that we have um that that check for citizenship um, when somebody's registering to vote. Yeah, I, it, it is important. And, and I do know we've talked before and I've talked with others, other experts about those safeguards that prevent non-citizens from registering to vote. But you could certainly understand the, step, the skepticism and the concern of people when they hear that you have over 30,000 people who are not eligible to vote, who are non-citizens getting invitations in effect. That's what it's like. Oh, here, here's the information on how you can register to vote that you would have concern. And even more, Matt Crane, it does to me at least raise some some genuine questions when you have a staff error. And it sounds like it was an error, but nevertheless, it was an error and it happened at the Secretary of State's level. And then the county clerks aren't able to basically provide a sort of check against the secretary of state's office, so to speak, in an instance. You know, if a county clerk makes a mistake that is notable, the secretary of state can come in and provide that sort of check and so forth. We saw that last year in a couple of different counties where there were issues and you had supervisors appointed or what have you. But yet it seems here you don't have that check where the other way around where a county clerk can be able to verify what who who was getting these postcards that the secretary of state's office erroneously put out. Sure, there's there's a lot of things about this um, that frustrate that frustrate us. One, not being able to get the information Two, that the mistake happened. And let's not forget, Jimmy, this is the second time that this uh, mistake has happened. I believe it happened in 2019 as well. That's right. Um, and there's a greater number this time than there was that time. You know, we have questions about why was this done um, so late in the year? 
um, so close to an election where, you know, there's, there may not be as much time to, uh, to work it. Um, so we, we share the frustration of people, um, of citizens who are concerned about how it happened, but, um, we have been in talks with the secretary's office to make sure that this doesn't happen again and that they're, they're doing everything that they can to mitigate it, um, mm -hmm. from their side. So to the extent that we can, we're doing, we're doing everything we can to push, um, uh, to get information and make sure that these things are, uh, this, this issue is being mitigated properly. Final question for you, Matt Crane, Executive Director of the County Clerks Association. Now that we are a couple months removed from the 2022 elections, what's your overall take on how they were run, broadly speaking, in Colorado? Well, I think Colorado citizens um, should be very proud of the work that the clerk and recorders in Colorado did and their staff to run um, safe and secure and accessible elections um, this year. Turnout was a little bit lower than we would have liked to see. I think there's you know, a number of reasons for that. Um, but I think that the elections were run um, across the state were run very well. Um, there was a lot of participation from political parties in terms of watchers, I think more so than ever, which was great. You know, we're not afraid of transparency or visibility on on the process. Um, and I think that bore itself out in a, in a really good election for, for Colorado in 2022. I do have one final question, actually, because I've gotten a couple of texts wondering about how now that we have this system of you, you get a driver's license, you get registered to vote. Um, say you have an illegal immigrant who gets one of those driver's licenses. How do they distinguish between somebody who gets a license who is eligible to vote versus those who are non-citizens or illegal immigrants who are not eligible to vote? Um, is it possible for somebody who's not supposed to be voting to get a driver's license that then makes them able to vote? So that's a that's a fantastic question. So uh the, the non-citizen driver's license, one, it looks different than a citizen driver's license. I believe it has a different number string than a citizen driver's license. And then when that data is captured in drives, which is um, the, the driver's license statewide um, system that tracks all of this, and then the data comparison is done in real time to SCORE, which is the voter registration database, if somebody is as being a non-citizen, they will not be able to register to vote. So if somebody were to go to govocolorado.gov with um, a non-citizen driver's license and try to use it to register there, they would not be able to. And this is one thing too, there's a lot of talk about automatic voter registration here in Colorado, Jimmy. And one of the reasons um, why I'm a proponent and, and the clerks are a proponent of it is because that's the only voter registration checkpoint that that actually checks and compares uh, for citizens for citizenship, um, and so that is one of the strengths of automatic voter registration through the driver's license is that it does do that verification for citizenship. So there are stronger guardrails in that process um, than in other parts of the voter registration process. Hmm. Not to say that those guardrails don't exist, but automatic voter registration it's all right there. Hmm. Matt Crane, I always appreciate your candor in answering important questions about how our system works. Of course, the County Clerks Association Executive Director is our guest, Matt Crane. Has been our guest, Matt Crane, I should say, because we are wrapping up here. Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure and appreciate um, your efforts here in Colorado. Hey, anytime, Jimmy. I appreciate the conversation. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Once again, Executive Director of the Colorado County Clerks Association, Matt Crane, joining us here on the George Brockler Show. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George. 
We're going to take a break. We'll be back, finish up the hour. I'll tee up our special in-studio guest coming up in the next hour as well on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. Rocking and rolling back. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. News Talk 710 KNUS. Good to be with you today on the program coming up in the next hour. Well, actually, I'm going to wait a moment, and then I'll I'll tease the special in-studio guest who we have for the, for the entirety of the 9 o'clock hour. I want to stay on the topic we were just on with Matt Crane. Executive Director of the Colorado County Clerks Association, making a couple of important clarifications and points on the program here just moments ago. In regards to the 31,000 postcards that went out to 31,000 non-citizens saying, hey, here's how you register to vote. One, it was a staff mistake, a staff error at the Secretary of State's office like in 2019. It's the second time it happened. It is not any consequence of the ERIC system, Electronic Registration Information Center. That information comes to the Secretary of State's office, and then it is incumbent upon the office to process it and then act accordingly and do their own checks, etc. They failed that, and then you had 31,000 non-citizen postcards go out. Now, what is very frustrating to me, and Matt says there's either rule or executive order or something that is obstructing the Secretaries of State, Secretary of State's office from answering the request of county clerks, and, like in Moffitt County and the Colorado County Clerks Association itself, from getting names of who received these postcards. That's bull. Baloney. Hooey. Nonsense. Here we have a system where the Secretary of State is able to cross-check and hold accountable county clerks, and yet the county clerks can't do the same with the Secretary of State on basic information that they should be able to get. Without question, this information should be provided. Maybe there are some names that need to be redacted for one reason or another that run up against certain federal or state laws or what have you. But if there's not a law obstructing this information, that should be provided to county clerks, the County Clerks Association. They should be able to suss through that information and make determinations and do extra special due diligence to just verify what I believe is true. None of these people actually voted. But provide that extra layer of verification. Here are the names. We've cross-checked. We can verify. No, they did not vote. That's a basic ask. Without question, it should be provided that information to county clerks and the county clerks association, which can pass it along to the various county clerks. Hopefully that will change and that information will become available to those who are requesting it, who are officials, but I'm not going to be 
holding my breath on that one. But we need to cry foul about it. That's for darn sure. It's a legitimate criticism of Jenna Griswold, and it is ripe territory for criticism indeed. So coming up in the next hour, we will be joined by Craig Arfston. He is co-founder of an organization, a group called Citizens for a Safe and Clean Denver, founded in part to push for the enforcement of Denver's camping ban, founded to address issues of crime and drugs and the homeless encampments that are littered throughout Denver. And how to address these issues for safe and clean Denver communities. And sometimes there are politicians who come up who go against that issue, who are counter to your objectives. Case in point, Leslie Harrod. She's state representative for Denver, who is now running for mayor. She's one of the, what, football team? I think there's a football team worth of candidates for mayor now. Something around 22. And she's running for mayor. And there were a couple of newsletters and website posts that this group posted online about Leslie Harrod, critical of her. And lo and behold, Herod's campaign and her lawyer who used to be with the Lincoln Project, an attorney at the Lincoln Project, went after that this small group that has spent very little money in its, what, 18 months, two years of existence. And we're going to get the inside story of what's going on there, especially because they've been fined. They've been fined for one of the two complaints from the Herod campaign. And they've been fined five times as much as Leslie Herod is now required to pay from her state house campaign's failure to file per her personal financial disclosures, which racked up a fine penalties of $15,200. And she got that waved down to 50 from the Secretary of State. And her mayoral campaign goes after this small citizens group and gets them fined. What's going on here? We'll break it all down with Craig coming up in the next hour. He'll be in studio. We'll also talk about his visit just completed over the last few days to Seattle, Washington. What's the state of affairs there? What did he notice? It was sort of an investigatory trip. We'll get some reaction to the on-the-ground situation in Seattle coming up. And, of course, Seattle is a very important city as far as the circumstances of homelessness and drug issues and other things here on KNUS because our own... Stephen Tubbs, Peter Boyles, and Mark Crowley went there to learn about safe injection sites and what goes on there, came back and were able to thwart the advancement of safe injection sites here with our incredible audience's support. With all of your support, 
for the actions that came of that, but they brought back the information. What did Craig Arfston learn from his experience in Seattle? And how does that fit in with the objectives that they hope to achieve with the citizens for a safe and clean Denver? We've got that and more coming up in the next hour. You do not want to miss it. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. Keep it right here. News Talk 710 KNUS. Another hour up ahead. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.